Well, hey guys, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the executive director. So we are kicking off this brand new series called The Holy Spirit. It is a two-week series. I think it's actually the first time we've done a two-week short series like this. But I was talking to my dad this week. He's, uh, he's got a, a big Bible study over in Naples that he runs. And you know, he, he was so excited that we were going to be doing the Holy Spirit. He goes, oh, it's one of my favorite topics. He goes, I did seven weeks on the Holy Spirit. I felt like I could do 16 weeks. How many weeks are you doing? I said, well, we're doing two. I don't think I can do more than that. So today, you guys are basically getting what could be 16 weeks of messages in about 20 minutes. So it's going to be like taking a drink out of a fire hose. Good luck. Um, so no, but this is, it's an important topic. And, and I think it's, you know, it's important that we just kind of refocus and, and learn about what the Holy Spirit is, who he is. Look this up. So um, if you've been here any length of time, you know that you've heard Adam, who's our lead communicator, you've heard him talk about the fact that he goes to a personal trainer. In fact, Lindsay, the girl who just did our announcement, she's one of our volunteers, she helps with our kids downstairs, she is Adam's personal trainer. What you don't know, maybe you know, I don't know what you know, I go to a personal trainer as well. I actually go to her husband, Scott, over at Intense Fitness uh, on Commercial Boulevard. And uh, about a year or so ago, like last March, got to a place where I was like, you know, I've been, you know, weightlifting, all that kind of stuff for 15 years since I've been out of college. You know, we all kind of go to the gym every single day doing the same old thing. And I wasn't really seeing the progress that I thought I should be seeing for all the work. And you know, you work your butt off and you're not dropping the pounds. You're not putting the muscle on. And I was just, I didn't understand what was going on. So one day at a DHC night's, um, I was talking to him, and he said, well, why don't you just come by the gym, and we'll have a conversation, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. So I go to Intense Fitness, and I show up. We start talking, and he says, well, tell me this. What, are you, what, is, what is your goal? I mean, if you had a goal that I could help you achieve, what would that goal be? And I said, well, I actually I brought a picture. I said, because it's not so much a goal, but it's a, a look that I'm going for. And I said, have you ever seen the movie Tarzan? Because I want to look like that guy. And he was very professional. This is literally the picture that I brought. I had like, I brought, and he was, he looks at it and he goes, all right, okay, well, let's see what we can, you know, let's see what we can do. Small steps, small steps. So we did, you know, the counseling appointment that day and the, the fitness assessment. And at the end, he said to me, he goes, all right, so here's the deal. You actually do know a fair amount of, about weightlifting. I, you know, I understand you've got friends who are pro bodybuilders. It's evident to me that you kind of have a pretty good knowledge. And it seems like you, you do know a good amount of, about nutrition. He goes, but through our workout today, I've noticed something. I, I noticed that you're missing a couple of key foundational building blocks, just a couple of small things that you're missing that I believe are holding you back from, from getting, you know, the goals that you want. And over the next couple of weeks, he had me come in, and I was doing things like these toe touches, like this. We're doing stretches. And I'm saying to myself, I'm paying for this? This is pretty lame. But sure enough, he was right. It was these small things that I couldn't do, balance issues, tiny little muscles, that he began to work on to give me these building blocks that really allowed my progress to skyrocket. The reason I tell you this story is because I think that for many Christians, here's what I think about many Christians. I believe that we know a good amount. We know a good amount about our faith. We've got this working knowledge about the Bible and who Jesus is and who God is. 
But I think for a lot of us, and I would wager to say pretty much all of us, we are missing some foundational building blocks, these things in our lives that we either don't know about at all or don't know enough about. And I believe that it are these missing pieces that are holding us back from having sort of the victorious Christian life that we all want, sort of the way that we think. We're not getting the gains, so to speak, in the spiritual department that we thought we would be having at this time in our life. I believe that one of the missing foundational building blocks that we are all missing is a solid understanding of the Holy Spirit. I think we're missing this solid... And I'm in the same boat with you guys. The, tr- the truth of the matter is that whether you're a, a, a pastor of a church or you're somebody who's been coming for years or you're brand new, the truth is through my conversations with people and my research, very few people have a good understanding about the Holy Spirit. So as Scott did with me that day and asked me what my goal was with him, I want to set a goal for us today. And here's my goal for us today. I want you leaving today knowing more about the Holy Spirit than any other person you meet. Whether it's your first time in this church, your first time in a church, or you've been a Christian your entire life, I want you leaving today knowing more than any other person, no matter what church they go to or how long they've been a Christian, I want you being able to go head-to-head with them and school them on the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a different kind of message for us at DHC. We are a church that prides ourselves in being very practical, and my goal is to be as practical as possible today. But the truth is, this week is like a fitness assessment. This week, I'm going to give you those building blocks. I'm going to give you all the technical stuff that you need so that next week, when we do the practical, you will be ready to fully understand what we're talking about. So here's something that I know and something that I've learned this week. There is no subject around which there has been so much controversy, divisiveness, and confusion as the Holy Spirit. Now, I say something like this, and you're saying, well, how is there division, how is there divisiveness when it comes to the Holy Spirit? Well, the truth is, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it has divided friends and families and churches. Here's what I mean. We're not talking about social issues, because it's easy to understand how churches and friends and families can be divided over social issues and where a church takes a stance on a particular social issue. But when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, you have some groups who believe that the Holy Spirit is the only thing that you should be talking about, the only thing that you need to be focusing on. I need more of it. Give me more of it. I want more of it. And it's the only thing they seem to be focused on. Then you have other groups and other churches who, because of, let's say, the excesses of the former group, say, I mean, we believe in the Holy Spirit, but we're not really that kind of a church. We don't, I mean, we, we focus on it, but we're not really that kind of a church. But the truth is this. The truth is this. Both groups are wrong. Both groups are wrong. See, ignorance abounds, I believe. Okay? I believe that people in general are ignorant about the Holy Spirit because the local church has not properly taught who he is, what he does, and how he operates in the world and in us. So where do we start? Right? If this is DHC seminary today, so to speak, where do we start? How do we begin to learn about the Holy Spirit? So here's something that I know and I think you would agree with me. In our faith, in Christianity, there are aspects that uh, we understand 
And there are aspects that are more complicated, more confusing. So I think, by and large, people understand Jesus. Now, you may not agree that he's the Son of God, but I think at an intellectual level, we all say, I get it. He makes sense. I understand what he's about. I think we understand Christmas. I think we understand Easter, although there may be some confusion about how the resurrection works, and we're going to talk about that in our next series coming up called The More You Know. But I think, by and large, we understand a lot about our faith. But there's one aspect of our faith that confuses every single person, whether you're just a church member, whether you're a pastor, or whether you're a professor and you're, and you're an intellectual, and it's the Trinity. The Trinity is very confusing to understand, and, and part of the reason it's so confusing to understand is that we as humans are limited by our human mind. Now, this is not a cop-out, but the truth of the matter is that we are dealing with a limited ability to understand certain things about God, but we know the Trinity exists because Jesus talks about it. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. I don't expect you to, you know, memorize it all, but I just want to give you a lot of scripture to really drive home my points. And my hope is, over the next however many minutes, I can present an argument to you that you will believe the Holy Spirit is who he says that he is, and you will understand it. So, in Matthew 28 19, we read this about the Trinity. Go, make followers of all the nations. This is Jesus talking. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think for many of us, this is the only thing we know about the Holy Spirit is this kind of reference. If you're a Catholic, you grew up going in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That, that, this, is, this is what you know. It's, it's a phrase that we say. It's, it, it's this. And I think what happens is that when we look at the Trinity, when we look at how Jesus talks about it here, we think, well, you've got the Father, you've got the Son, Right? This makes sense. Father's above the Son. And then you got the Holy Spirit. I don't really know where the Holy Spirit goes. Maybe it's down here. Maybe it's kind of like over here. But God's above Jesus. Jesus is below God. And the Holy Spirit is somewhere in the mix, somewhere. I don't know where. But here's what we know about the Trinity. We believe in one God in three persons. What does that mean? That's kind of confusing. I mean, we get, this is why the Trinity is a little confused. How can it be one God in three persons? Well, let me make that even more complicated for you. All of whom are equal in power. See, I think a lot of times we think, well, God's the highest. He's sort of in charge. Jesus sort of takes direction from him. And then the Holy Spirit is whatever, whatever the Holy Spirit does. But here's what the Trinity is. Let me just say this very plainly. The Father is God. Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. See, I think a lot of us don't recognize that. I think we say, well, the Father's God, yes. Jesus made reference to the fact that he was God. I've heard you at DHT talk about that. Okay, I'm with you, but the Holy Spirit being God, really? I just thought the Holy Spirit was a force that God used. It's, it's more than that. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the question we have to ask is, is the Holy Spirit an it or a he? When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, what pronouns should we be using? Why, why is this even important to talk about? It's very important to talk about. And let me, let me just tell you why. Number one, I think what you're used to hearing is the fact that often the Holy Spirit is described as a power or a force. We will say things like, well, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
These are, these are the phrases that we use. And that phrase is correct because the Holy Spirit is a force, but he's more than just a force. And I think the reason we kind of get caught up in this idea that it's a force or just a power comes from the way that the disciples and the New Testament authors first described the Holy Spirit. So in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit sort of makes his debut, so to speak, on the scene. Now, he's been throughout the Old Testament a couple of times, but in this passage that we're about to read, he is making his appearance in the church for the very first time. And it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they, and you're talking about the disciples and other followers of Jesus, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a wind. It wasn't the blowing wind, but it was kind of like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house. It goes on. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire. You see what we did here? Okay. See, they're saying it was like we, we saw this thing happen, and it, and it sounded like wind, and, and it kind of looked like fire, and it separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus was baptized early on, I'm not throwing this on the screen, it says that the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus like a dove. It wasn't a dove, but it was kind of like a dove. It wasn't a fire, but it kind of looked like fire. It wasn't wind, but it kind of was. What they're trying to do is they are trying to describe something that their human eyes have never seen before. And they are grasping at straws to figure out how are we going to describe this entity that we have never seen before. And folks, it's not a surprise that we think the Holy Spirit is a thing based on how these original authors started to describe it. It's like fire. It's like a wind. It's like a dove. But what you need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is a human being. I'm not saying he has hands or he has feet or eyes and nose, but he is a person. It is one God in three persons. He has a personality. He has individualistic characteristics that only he has. So if we're to believe this, if you're sort of saying, all right, I'm working with you, the question we have to answer is, what does it take to make something a someone? If it's not a thing, what does it take, what standards does it have to meet to become a someone? So I looked at the Bible, went cover to cover, we checked commentaries, and it became clear to me and in the scriptures, when it's trying to describe when something is a someone, it says this. It meets three tests. Something has knowledge and emotion and, and will, sort of the ability to make determinations, has, has action, has, has its own will and ability to decide. So the question becomes, does the Holy Spirit meet these standards? Well, number one, you have to understand that the Holy Spirit has knowledge. And I'm just going to give you a, a couple of pieces of Scripture because the, I, we could be here for 16 weeks and we just don't have the time. We don't want to do that, okay? Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit has knowledge. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God 
except the Spirit of God. This is telling us that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, knows God the Father, has an understanding, has knowledge. The Holy Spirit has knowledge. It goes on. It says this, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. I could just, it's kind of like, yeah, it seems good. Okay, the Holy Spirit, it seems good to the Holy Spirit. He likes what he's seeing. He has knowledge of what is happening. Holy Spirit also has emotions, okay? In Romans, it says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. The Spirit has love. Time and time again, we see this over and over and over again. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit loves each and every single one of us. Here's something else we see. The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to live in us, has a strong desire for us to be faithful to him. The Holy Spirit loves. The Holy Spirit has desires. We read this. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Another translation that says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, has identified you, speaking to each and every single one of you guys here in this room, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. The fact of the matter is that the Holy Spirit has emotions, can feel sadness, can be grieved. But what we see is that he's also identified. He's making decisions, which means that the Holy Spirit has will. Holy Spirit has will. We'll end by reading this piece here in 1 Corinthians. There are different kinds of gifts, and we're going to talk about this next week, what these gifts of the Holy Spirit are. But it says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. And all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. Holy Spirit's making determinations. The Holy Spirit is making decisions. He has will. What does this mean? This means that the Holy Spirit is a somebody, not a something. The Holy Spirit is a somebody not a something. And, and here's why this is so important, because you're probably just saying, this seems like a lot of work just to figure out what kind of pronoun to use. But the reason it's so important to understand that the Holy Spirit is a somebody and a person and not a something is because when you get this, this shifts our mindset from how do I get more of it to how do I give him more of me? We want to get from a place where we're just saying, I want more of the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. To how do we get to a place where we say, I believe that the Holy Spirit is God and he lives inside of me. And I need to get to a place where I give this aspect of my life over to the Holy Spirit. I give that aspect of my life over to the Holy Spirit. It's a brand new and a completely different relationship that you will have with the God who lives inside of you. So when you think about Jesus, I think a lot of us could sort of talk about what his resume is, so to speak. What are the things that Jesus, if I said, hey, tell me a little bit about Jesus, I think you could tell me. I think you could say, well, uh, he claimed that he was God. He was a teacher. He performed a lot of miracles. He walked on water. He fed thousands. He predicted his death and his burial and his resurrection, and he came back to life. 
But if I were to ask you, what does the Holy Spirit's resume look like? Could you tell me anything? I mean, to be really honest with you, I couldn't either until I did this research this week. And so I just want to give you an idea of what the Holy Spirit has done throughout all time. See, one of the first things you have to understand about the Holy Spirit is that he was involved in the creation. Not just the creation of the world and the universe and everything in it, but he was also involved in the creation of human beings. So in the very first line of Scripture, you open up the book, you go to the very beginning, you're going to be in Genesis 1. And it says this, very famous line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. In the very first sentence of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is active and alive and involved in the creation of this world. And I think for so many of us, we just think it's God the Father. He did the whole thing. Not the case. Not the case at all. Additionally, you go ahead one more chapter. They start talking about when humans are made. We read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So we read this and we just breeze right past it. Good. Makes sense. Next. Read, actually, for a second, just read this and see if anything pops out to you. Let us make man in our image according to... Who is he talking to? Who is the us? Who is our? Who, who, he's talking to the Trinity. For the very first time in Scripture, the Trinity is revealed to us. He is talking to Jesus. He is talking to the Holy Spirit. That is who us is. That is who our is, and I don't think we recognize this because we breeze through this so quickly. We've seen it so many times. Next, next, great, sounds good. The Trinity's involved here. But here's something you need to know, is that at this point, no person in the Trinity had a human body. I mean, we read in the scripture that Jesus did not put on flesh until he was born of a virgin. The whole Christmas story. Not until that point did God become man. So when we read the scripture, we re it says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Well, what are they talking about? Because I think we think human bodies. We think hands and feet and noses and all. But no one in the Trinity had any of those characteristics. There was no human body. There was no hands. Here's what I believe. I believe that the image we were given was not a human body, but knowledge and emotion and will. These were the characteristics of God and of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit that were imparted upon all of us when they created humans. This is what we were inherited. This is the likeness that we receive from God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. What else did he do? Well, like the video said, he, by his power, Jesus was born of a woman. The Christmas story. We read this in Matthew 1. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, you guys know all about son of David now, okay? Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She is to become a mother by the Holy Spirit. How does this work? I have no idea, okay? Nobody really knows how that works. All we know is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary became pregnant with Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, 
Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus predicted his death, his burial, his resurrection. He said, I am going to die, but in three days, I will be back. Here's what we've learned. In Romans 8, 11, it says this, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. That's what the Holy Spirit did. And if the same Holy Spirit lives in you, he will give life to your bodies in the same way. So the question we have to answer is, how do we get to know him? How do we get to know the Holy Spirit? I think for a lot of us, we would know Jesus. I think if you've been a Christian for a while, you say, well, I know who Jesus is. I know how he thought. I know how he taught. I understand what he wanted for my life. I knew what he, what he expected of me. I knew what he wanted to do through me. But how do we get to have that understanding and that knowledge of the Holy Spirit? Because I would say at an academic level, particularly after today, we do know him. Academically, we know him. But how do you connect on that emotional level that so many of us have connected with Jesus? So I'm going to pose you a question right now that we often get from your kids downstairs. You ready? See if you can answer this one. Who made God? Who made God? Because we believe that God made the universe and everything in it. So the logical question is, okay, who made God? That always stumps people. The reality is this. Nobody made God. The scripture's clear, or at least it tries to be, that God has always been. He is everlasting. He was never created. He's always been in creation, and he will always be there. That's hard to understand. And like I mentioned before, it's difficult for finite beings to have an understanding of an infinite God. It's a difficult concept to think about this idea that nobody made God. God was always in existence, and he's always going to be there, and he's always... Been, you spend enough time thinking about that, your head's going to blow off your shoulders. That's, that's the truth, okay? And God knows this. God, God is not an idiot. He knows that you will have a difficult time understanding this concept, understanding who God the Father is, this, this being that has always been, that was never created, and that will always be there. That's why he took the form of a man, Jesus, that we might identify with someone with human needs and human desires, that we could look at Jesus and go, that I understand. That I get. A man that cries and laughs and eats and is sad, that I can understand. And what we learn, and we've talked about this here at DHC, is that if you want to know who God the Father is, all you got to do is look at Jesus. If you want to know who God the Father is, who's always been, if you want to have an intimate understanding and a relationship with who he is, all you need to do is look at Jesus. An interaction takes place with one of Jesus' disciples, Philip. Philip goes to Jesus, hey, um, Lord, can you show us the Father and we'll be satisfied? He, he's kind of saying, hey, everything you've done so far has been great, but if you can just show us God the Father, I mean, I can't speak for everybody here, but I know I'll be satisfied. I'm, I'll, I'm set. I can, whatever you need me to do, but can you just show me God the Father? Because I haven't seen him yet. I mean, I've seen what you, can you show me God the Father? And Jesus answers him like this. He says, if you really know me, if you've been paying attention, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, 
you do know him and have seen him. Past tense. You have seen him. Anyone who has seen me, he says, has seen the Father. What he's saying to his disciples there, what he's saying to all of us is that you've known the Father all along and didn't even realize it. He's saying to his disciples, these last three years, when we worked together, when we ate meals together, when we slept in the same rooms together, sometimes when we were jailed together, all that time, the Father was right here with you. Why? Because I'm him. You look at the Father, you're looking at me. You look at me, you're looking at the Father. I am him. Similarly, if you want to know who the Holy Spirit is, you look at Jesus. If you want to know who the Holy Spirit is, you look at Jesus. A couple of lines later in this conversation that he's having with Philip, Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. That he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. And this last line is where it all comes together. But you know him because he abides with you. You know him because he's with you and he hangs out with you. And he will be in you. See, what Jesus is saying to those disciples and what he's saying to all of you here today is like God, you've known the Holy Spirit all along and didn't even realize it. If you want to know who the Holy Spirit is, just look at Jesus and you will know what the Spirit's desire is for your life. You will know how much the Spirit loves you, the extents the Spirit will go to help you and be with you and comfort you. Jesus wraps up this conversation by saying this. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. See, what we see today throughout this entire conversation is that the Holy Spirit isn't an it, it's a he. He's not just a he, he's a person. He's not just a person, he's a part of the Trinity. He's not just a part of the Trinity, he is God himself, that he was there at the creation of the world. He was there in your creation. You and he share his likeness, knowledge, and emotion and will. Through his power, Jesus was born of a woman. Through his power, Jesus was raised to life. And that same power, the Holy Spirit, lives in each and every one of you, should you say yes to Jesus. And what's so amazing, and I think we miss this if you're not really paying attention, is that because of the Holy Spirit, we have intimate access to the entire Trinity. See, I believe what I've just read Jesus say is that inside of each and every single one of us lives God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That's the ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit. The question is, why? Why does the Holy Spirit live in you? Why does he live in you? And what does he want to do through you? Well, that's next week. Next week's the practical. This week, we need some information so that we can understand exactly why the Holy Spirit came to this world to live inside of you. He was called the helper. He's called the counselor. 
But wow, he's got a lot in store for your life. We're going to talk about why, what are called the fruits of the Spirit. This idea that when you say yes to Jesus, you will begin to see changes in your own life that you can begin to actually monitor to see your progress as a follower of Jesus. We're going to talk about what are the gifts of the Spirit. This thing that I referenced, they are gifts that are given to each and every single one of you, and you all have different gifts. And I'm not just talking about, you know, being able to get a good, good tan and that kind of stuff. There are spiritual gifts that each and every single one of you has that the Holy Spirit determined that you need and that you can use. And we're going to learn about why we all have these gifts. So what is the practical? If it's your first time at DHC, we put this word up on the screen every week because we want to make sure that you guys can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. Now, in fairness, as I've said, this is a different kind of a message for DHC. This is a technical message, not so much practical. However, there are things that we can do with what we've heard. They're more philosophical in nature. So number one, I would challenge you this week to reflect on what you've heard. Because you've heard a lot today. You may need to go back and listen again. I would encourage you to do your own research. Okay? But you need to reflect on what you've heard. Additionally, I would challenge you to reevaluate. If you're someone who throughout your life has looked at the Holy Spirit as an it, as simply a force, something of which we can get more of, I would challenge you to look at what the Scripture actually says and to recognize that the Scripture says it's not an it, it's a he. It's not just a he, it's God and he lives inside of you. And I would challenge you to maybe tweak your theology to get you to a place where you can say, I don't need more of it. I need to give more of me to him. Because the Holy Spirit is God, and he resides in the hearts of all believers. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today and to talk about the Holy Spirit. This is something that I just believe is just so important to do. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would touch each and every person here, Lord. I don't know what they're going through in their life, but I just pray in this moment that you would meet them at the place of their needs. Lord, I pray that if someone in this room hasn't gotten to a place in their life where they've said yes to Jesus, I pray that today might be that day. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you can convict them and help them to understand who your son is and why you sent him and understand the fact that because of him and him alone, we and God are good. That we've been forgiven because of the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, we ask all of this in your son, Jesus' precious name. Amen.